All right. Well, turn with me, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 22 to 42 together. Uh, as you make your way there in your Bibles, we're continuing to take a look at the, the life and the ministry of Jesus. And as we take a journey through the Gospel of John, we've been considering what the, what the Gospel reveals about who Jesus is. Uh, it's interesting to note that as we've traveled up to chapter 10, as Jesus describes himself to us, uh, he describes his work and his words as an extension of the Father's. So whatever you see Jesus doing, that is what the Father has sent him to do. Whatever you hear Jesus saying, that is what the Father has sent him to say. And Jesus is an extension of the Father because as he's going to declare in our text today, he's going to say, me and the Father are one. Not just one in personality or one in some other means, but one in essence, speaking of the fact that there we serve a Trinitarian God. And so as we've been walking through our text, Jesus has described himself as an extension of the works and the words of the Father. As we've been walking through the text as well, we've been taking a look at the miracle signs and wonders that Jesus has done. Uh, in John chapter 20, verse 31, our key verse, it has been, uh, these things are written. There are many miracles and wonders that Jesus did, but these things are written so that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. Which is why, as we've been walking through John, we've been asking this question, who is Jesus? Do you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God? Uh, do you believe that he offers everlasting life to all and anyone who will come and trust in him as their Savior and their Lord? As we were in chapter 10, Jesus makes two I am statements. He declares in chapter 10, verse 7, I am the door to the sheep. He clarifies that in verse 9. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way to salvation, and I am the way to the abundant life. As we talk about the abundant life, the abundant life is not just health, wealth, and happiness. But the abundant life is finding contentment and satisfaction in the care of the shepherd who watches over us. So that whether we're going through green pastures or we're going through dark valleys, we can trust that the shepherd is watching over us and we can be content knowing that he has our best in mind and we have peace of mind. We have the abundant life in him. Well, as Jesus makes these declarations, these I am statements, uh, just in chapter 10, as we enter into verse 22, Jesus continues his ministry in the temple in Jerusalem, and we're going to hear a, a dialogue that takes place between Jesus and the Jewish leaders, and we're going to continue to ask and answer the question, who is Jesus? What does this dialogue reveal about who Jesus is? So let's go ahead and read the text and and uh, walk through it together. John chapter 10, verse 22 says, Now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 
And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say to him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to seize him, and, but he escaped out of their hand. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first, and, and there he stayed. Then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke of this man were true, and any, many believed in him there. So as we walk through our text, we're continuing to consider who is Jesus? How is he presented in John's gospel? As we take a look at the witnesses of Jesus' ministry, guys like John the Baptist, who in chapter 1, verse 29 declares, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus' interaction with various people. We think of the woman at the well or Nicodemus. We, there are many different interactions that Jesus has, and we consider what the witnesses reveal about Jesus, what the words of Jesus reveal about him, what the works of Jesus reveal about him. And as we walk through our text, what this dialogue between Jesus and these Jewish leaders tell us about him. Uh, as we enter into the text, verse 22, we're introduced to the background, the setting of the dialogue. Uh, first, we're introduced to the location where the dialogue takes place. It says in verse 22, now it was the feast of dedication in Jerusalem and it was winter. And so uh, we know the timing. Uh, you may be familiar with the feast of dedication because today it's celebrated and known as Hanukkah. The feast of dedication was known as the an opportunity to celebrate the rededication of the temple in 165 B.C. This was a few years after uh, a king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes had come in Jerusalem and ransacked the temple and had desecrated the, the altar in the temple by means of sacrificing a pig on the altar. And the reason he was doing all this is because what he wanted to do is he wanted to Hellenize the Jews. In other words, he wanted to adopt them to adopt Greek culture. And in doing so, it caused great, great anger. And uh, the Maccabeans came about, Judas Maccabeus. Uh, Maccabeus means hammer. It was Judas the hammer. And what he did uh, was he uh, led this revolt and the peak of that revolt happened in 165 AD when the Jews experienced at least a short-lived independence uh, from other nations. And this was an exciting time in, in Israel's history. And so just think about this. As Jesus is having this conversation, they're celebrating this. They're celebrating uh, this time in Israel's history when they experienced some amount of independence and so there is something in their hearts and a desire in the hearts of the people where 
knowing that they are under Roman occupation, there's a longing to find that independence again. And this is a time when you're celebrating this, when on their minds is their desire for a Messiah to come. Because when they thought of the Messiah, especially in the Old Testament, they thought of a conquering king who was coming in, who was going to deliver them uh, from any of the oppressive rulers around them, including Roman rule. And so they were looking forward to this Messiah who is going to be the conquering king. And now certainly Jesus is the conquering king, but we know he came the first time as a suffering servant. That's why John, as we said, declared, I behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the timing of this dialogue uh, is important because it kind of puts into perspective the question they are going to ask Jesus to ask him to clarify. If you're the Messiah or not, just tell us plainly. You know, don't beat around the bush, just tell us. And so we see the, the... the timing, sometime around the, uh, the Feast of Dedication, and it, then it tells us during the winter. Now, that would be uh, almost repetitive, but the reason it's there is in order to inform us in the next verse where Jesus is walking in the temple. He's not speaking or walking in the open, square, open temple, but he's uh, walking specifically in verse 23 in Solomon's porch where there is a covering, and so it's a little cold, and certainly Jesus is walking and ministering uh, as he goes about his ministry. And so uh, verse 22, you see the timing. Verse 23, uh, you see the location as Jesus is walking in the temple, and then you see in verse 24 the beginning of the dialogue. It tells us Jesus doesn't initiate this conversation. He's simply walking down Solomon's porch, and there are these Jews who surround him. These are most likely the Jewish leaders who who come around. It's like a gang, right? Jesus is walking in the temple, and, and all of a sudden, all the Jewish leaders surround him. And obviously, they've been asking questions. They've been seeking to discredit him. They don't like him. There have been a number of occasions where they wanted to arrest him or even stone him, but it was not yet his time. And so they surround him, and they ask this question concerning him. In verse uh, 24, it says, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, if you've been reading through John's gospel up to this point, or you've been with us throughout our journey through John, it's almost a bit laughable. <laughs> what are you talking about? Why are you, how long are you going to keep us in doubt? How, why are you saying this? Jesus, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. I mean, just think of the works and the wonders that Jesus has already done. From the private miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding to the public miracle of taking five loaves and two fishes and feeding 5,000, who knows how many more were there. Jesus has done many healings. In the last chapter, he heals a man who has been blind from birth. Certainly, he has revealed himself to be the Christ through his works and the wonders that he does, but more than that, through the words that he declares. In chapter 10, we've already said about two I am statements he's already made in chapter 10 alone. I am the door to the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Back in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me, he'll never hunger. Whoever believes in me, he'll never thirst. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall have the light of life and shall not walk in 
darkness. And here they are. What a silly question. Jesus, who are you? Are you the Messiah? I'm sure in some capacity this is a genuine question especially during the celebration of the Feast of Dedication, longing for a Messiah who will deliver them from Roman occupation. But their understanding of the Messiah is very limited. They're not looking for a suffering servant to go and die on a cross in fulfillment of Isaiah 53. They're looking for a Messiah who's made in their image. The kind of God that you can rub in terms of a genie, and, and he comes out, and, and he's created in your image. But God is not created in their image, nor is he created in our image. God is God all by himself, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that revelation of who he is. So they ask him this question, how long do you keep us in doubt if you are the Christ? Tell us, tell us plainly. And what Jesus, the way he answers is he reveals three things. And this is what I'd like to show you who Jesus is in light of this text. What this reveals about Jesus is Jesus is the one who reveals the truth about himself first, reveals the truth about those who have responded in unbelief, and then those who responded in belief. First, he, he responds to their, their, to their question. He says, I told you, but you did not believe. Jesus says, I've already told you plainly by my words, by my works, by my wonders that I've done in the name of the Father, that I have been sent from heaven to earth to declare and have been sent from heaven to earth to do. Jesus says, I've already told you. And then he clarifies this. He says, the reason for your doubt is not because I have not been clear. The reason for your doubt is your unbelief. The reason for your doubt is not that it's not been laid out plainly for you or that there is sufficient evidence to believe in me. But the fact of the matter is the sufficient evidence has been right in front of you. You've seen the works. You've seen the wonders. You've heard the claims that I have declared that are a direct representation of who the Father is. And so you have them, but the reason you reject me is not my fault, it's your fault. Their unbelief, the hardness of their hearts. How many people today blame God for their unbelief? They tell you, well, well if God just, just did more to convince me of this truth, maybe it would be true. I remember listening to Christopher Hitchens one, in one of his interviews. He's, a, he's the late Christopher Hitchens. He died some years back, but he wrote a book that was called God is Not Great, so you kind of know his background. And in a conversation he was having, someone asked him, they said, what would you do if you met God someday and, and you die and you end up meeting God? What are you going to say to him? Christopher Hitchens responded and he said, he said, why did you make me with a skeptical mind? Why did you not provide me enough evidence in terms of these things? But you see the scriptures plainly here. Jesus says it's because out of the hardness of your heart you have not believed. And those whose hearts are hardened are hardened further by the Father. And so Jesus makes it clear here. He says in this verse, he says, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They bear witness of me. You want to know who I am? Take a look at my works and consider whether or not they are a reflection of the Father's works. They bear witness of me. 26, but you do not believe 
So he's revealed the truth about himself. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He reveals the truth about them. He says this, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus has told us earlier in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. In 10, the first five verses, we talked about the kind of shepherd that is good, is one who calls his sheep by name. They know his voice. The picture and the image, if you remember, is at night, many shepherds would leave multiple flocks inside a sheepfold. And in the morning, the shepherd would come and and because they're mixed flocks and the sheep know his voice who belong to him and he's trusted by the gatekeeper, he calls them by name one by one and one by one each of the sheep come to him and they join his flock, they hear their voice. Jesus says, you are not my sheep because you neither hear my voice nor respond and follow me. Who is their shepherd? Well, someone else, not Christ. And so it says, but you do not believe my sheep hear my voice. I, and then in verse 28 to, to 30, he reveals the truth about who, his, who have responded in belief, he says. And I give, um, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. These are comforting verses. If you are of the flock, of Christ, if you belong to the shepherd, the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, these are comforting words to you and to me and they're promises that we should go back to again and again. Great promises. First, the promise given to his sheep is, is that he gives us, if he gives us it, it's a gift. He gives us eternal life. Those are who his sheep are we have the gift of eternal life. Eternal life, what is it? It's not just a length of time. It's a, it's, it's a kind of life that we live, the abundant life, where we are content and satisfied in the care of our shepherd. What a beautiful picture that is indeed. Not only do we have the promise of eternal life, we have the promise of eternal security. The text tells us that nothing can snatch us out of the hand of Christ. In a moment, we're going to see it's also the hand of the Father who is holding on to us, but nothing can snatch us out of that hand. Um, earlier, we heard about Jesus as the good shepherd in comparison to the thief and the robber who comes in some other way other than the gate in the first five verses. He enters some other way because he's not the good shepherd. He's not trusted by the gatekeeper. He's not trusted by the sheep. He goes in some other way. You and I are protected if you belong to him from the thief, the robber who comes to steal, to, to kill, and to destroy. We are protected. There's nothing that can take us away from, from God. And then we continue to read it. It says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of whose hand? My Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here's the promise. If you are of his sheep, of his flock, it tells us that if you are in, in his hand, Jesus is holding on to you. And there's nothing that can snatch you away from his hand. Not false religion or the philosophies of this world. False teachers who come and, and, and they have smooth talk and, 
and they try to lead you astray. But if you belong to Christ, he's holding on to you. But the next verse tells us not only does the son hold on to us, but it says the father holds on to us as well. So take a look at the grip of the son and then take a look at the grip of the father. You are safe and secure in the Lord. Nothing is going to snatch you away. That's a great promise. It's a great reminder of the eternal security that we have in him. Now, do we wander at times? Do we stray? Do we find ourselves doubting at times? Do we, do we go our own way and our own path? And isn't it a beautiful thing that the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after the one? and pursues you and I. And those who belong to him are those that he holds near and dear to him. And so the conclusion is this. The the fact that you are a believer and you continue to be a believer is not because of your grip on him, but because of his grip on you. Both the son and the father have held you secure and nothing, nothing can snatch you away. That's great security indeed. And so in this text, he finishes and concludes in verse 30 and says, these are, these are significant words because in a moment they're going to pick up stones to want to kill him for this. He says, I and the Father are one. Who is Jesus? Plainly in the text, if, if you've been walking through us, with us up to chapter 10, I mean, it's certainly clear who Jesus claims to be. Certainly clear what the works and the words of Jesus declare about him. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the promised prophet, priest, and king who's been anointed to come. He is the one who lays his life down for the sheep. He is the, the good shepherd. He is the son of God who offers everlasting life to anyone who will trust in him and who will believe in him. That's who Jesus is. Do you believe it? Have you experienced the abundant life, the security of being held by the Son and being held by the, the Father? There's not a lot of worry there, not a lot of stress. Uh, as you're going through dark valleys and hardships and difficult times, you know he's holding on to you and he's holding on to me. Who is Jesus? Jesus reveals the truth about himself. He says, I and the Father are one. He declares himself to be the Messiah. They ask him, tell us plainly. I already have. That means Jesus says, I am the Messiah. I'm the one promised of, of old. He reveals the truth about who those who respond to him in unbelief are. They are not of his sheep. And it's an invitation for them as well to follow him too. Did you know that? The fact that God has not judged them yet and is actually having a conversation with them is enough evidence to say you have time to turn and follow after me and join the flock, <laughs> uh, to seek me and to follow after me. God says you seek me, you seek me with all your heart, you're gonna, you're gonna find me. And so it's the continued encouragement as we walk through John's gospel if, if you all are still wrestling with the truth of who Jesus is. And still trying to wrestle with, with if Jesus is really more than a man or a prophet, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, who offers salvation as a free gift, to continue to cry out to God and say, God, if this is who you truly are, make that abundantly clear for me and allow me to surrender my heart to you and then trust in you if indeed you are the good shepherd who lays your life down for me. And he also reveals who those of his flock are. 
I'd like to open it up for discussion and ask this. Is there, is there a danger in our believing that our relationship with God depends on us holding onto him rather than him holding onto us? Is there a danger in believing that, that our relationship is fully dependent on him rather than, than dependent on us? Is there a danger in that? And if there is, what is that danger? What is that balance? Are you holding on to God? And what happens when you just let go? Yeah, Charlie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it gives you security. I'm sure it gives you relief too, right? <laughs> it's not dependent on you. Yeah. I was raised in a church that taught you lose your salvation. Yeah. You commit a willful sin. Yeah. Then you never lose your sin. Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, when it comes to salvation, if, if we could lose our salvation, we would. I don't know about you, but you sin every day. You need forgiveness of sins. None of us are perfect. Yeah. yeah. Anyone else want to share? What's the danger of, of thinking we, uh, our relationship is dependent on us? Yeah, it just becomes a uh, work-based situation. Yeah. And that sounds like the abundant life. That is contentment and satisfaction in the care of my shepherd. It may be dark outside. I may be going through a storm. There's a valley that's the valley of the shadow of death even, but I'm safe and secure in the arms of my good, good shepherd. Yeah, yeah, get him. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It puts us in proper light, right? Our, it reminds us of our desperation for Christ and our, our lack of capacity to even pursue him uh, and even our ability to keep the hold that we need to on him. Yeah. Yeah, 
The same way he saves us is the same way he sanctifies us and the same way he will glorify us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Yeah, Marianne. I think of, uh, we went to Johnson's uh, farm uh, last week and they have a hayride. And I've never been on a hayride. If you've been to Johnson's farm, you know that this is a crazy hayride, man. I mean, you're, it's, they turn you curves and you, so I'm holding on to our youngest, our three-year-old, and she's holding on to me. And I'll tell you what, she, she couldn't hold on to me and I was holding on to her. And if, if I would have let go, she would have went flying somewhere. I mean, it's a crazy farm. And what a great picture to know that, that we are his, we're his beloved, and he holds on to us. And we are weak, incredibly weak. We can't hold on to him in our own strength, and yet he keeps holding on to us. Right? What a good shepherd we serve. So who is Jesus? Jesus declares, I am the Father, our one. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He reveals the truth about himself. He reveals the truth about those who respond in unbelief and those who respond in belief, those who are as sheep, hear his voice and respond uh, truly. Uh, next, as we continue to read, we, we get to see how Jesus defends himself against those who want to kill him. And so he, he makes that statement, which is a bit controversial. I and the Father are one. And it says the Jews took up stones again. <laughs> Don't miss that again. It's not the first time. I mean, they have been wanting to stone him for some time, waiting for him to trip up in what he says and, and what he does. And they're ready. I don't know if they've got some stones right next to him. I mean, in, in, right there. And, and he says, I and the Father are one. Let's get them, boys. Let's go get our stones and throw it at him. But they give him a chance to respond, right? So the picture is here. Here, I mean, I can see just a bunch of red-faced folks saying, we're going to knock him right in the skull. We're going to shut him down. He's not going to talk anymore. And Jesus ans um, and it says, uh, uh, Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. Don't miss that. Every time Jesus speaks, he continues to remind them as he reminds us that he doesn't do anything independent of the Father. Jesus says, I am an extension of the work of the Father. So anything you see me do, that is what the Father does. I do not do anything independently of myself. Why? We're talking about the Trinity, the Trinitarian picture of God. The one true God exists eternally as three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We've got one in essence, distinct in person, equal in glory. That is the Trinitarian picture of who the one true God is. And Jesus answered, many good works. Which one do you stone me for? The Jews answered and said, for a good work, we do not stone you. Well, at least they can admit that there's some good works he's been doing. But for blasphemy, and because you being a man, make yourself out to be God. So did Jesus claim to be God? You have conversations with folks, folks who have like, like letters behind their name, many letters behind their name, and there are so many folks who you have conversations with, and they're like, no, Jesus never claimed to be God. 
Well, certainly those who were, uh, did not like him believed he claimed to be God, and this is a good example of that. Jesus claimed to be God because he was God. He is God. Uh, it says, um, but for blasphemy because you being a man make yourself to be God. 34, Jesus answered them, and he uses some logic here. He says, is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. So let me bring you through the logic that Jesus is bringing here. He's quoting uh, Psalm 82. So let me bring you there to help clarify this for us. Uh, Psalm 82, verse 1 it reads this way, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. And in Psalm 82, God is the, the judge. He's the ultimate judge. And as the ultimate judge, he has appointed judges on the earth and they stand accountable before him. But the judges that he's speaking to here that are referred to as gods because they have been appointed this position as God appointed them accordingly, uh, they have not... Uh, they have not done what they, are to, that, what they have been called to do. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods, little g there. He's referring to those who are judges on the earth who have been appointed in this role. How long will you judge unjustly and show partially to the wicked? And so these are worthless judges. These are judges who judge unjustly. What kind of a judge is that? Uh, defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness, and all the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, you are gods, lowercase g, and all of your children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. And so... How does God, the ultimate judge, refer to these judges who have been given this authority to judge? He calls them God's lowercase g. And so what Jesus is saying here is if, if God has appointed these individuals who are described as God's lowercase g and have been appointed in the position to judge as God has directed them, and they are worthless judges because they haven't judged accordingly, how much more the one who has been sanctified set apart and sent by the Father that he should be called the Son of God because he's doing the work of God. Is Jesus denying the fact that he is God? No, but using this logic, he's saying, why are you stoning me? For what work do you stone me for? Don't you see that they are referred to as gods who have been appointed to do the work of God? These are worthless judges, so they'll be judged by their work. In a moment, he's going to say, even if you don't believe in me, don't judge me on that. Judge me on the works that I do. And so what do my works reveal about me? That's why it's so important. If you're reading John's gospel, and maybe you're a skeptic, maybe you're a seeker, you haven't trusted in Christ, take time to dig into this, the truth of God's word, and say, is this true? As believers and as Christians, as we share our faith and and we consider these seven IN statements. We've already took look, taken a look at four. As we have conversations with folks, we get to introduce them to Jesus. 
He's not just some hippie that, you, that some folks see him as or, or some good person who taught the golden rule, do good unto, unto others as you would like done unto you. No, Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He claimed it. He demonstrated it by the words and works that he did. And ultimately, he dies and proves it by rising again in newness of life, buying our salvation. And so we get to see Jesus respond. 37, if I do, do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Jesus says you've seen the evidence. So the doubt of these Unbelievers, the doubt of these Jewish leaders is not a result of lack of clarity or lack of evidence that Jesus has not displayed his words and works sufficiently, but it's because of the hardness of their hearts that results in unbelief. And so Jesus makes it very clear as possible. Verse 39 and so, I mean, they have their stones. It says 39. Therefore, they sought again to seize him, but he escaped out of their hand. How does that happen? Maybe miraculously? Certainly. I mean, they're ready to kill him. It's not yet his time. Jesus said earlier, uh, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And then he said that I may take it up again. That's why we call Friday before Easter Good Friday, because we know that three days later he rises from the dead in newness of life. Friday would not be called good. Think about the injustice done to our Savior and our Lord. You talk about a terrible moment in history that God was sent from heaven to earth and he was crucified, mistreated, and, and crucified like a criminal when he was perfectly righteous. The reason it's good is because three days later, as he laid his life down, he took it up again. Who is this Jesus? We get to see here, of course, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who was sent by the Father to do the work of the Father. He is the Christ, the Son of God. If I can ask this question, open discussion one more time. Among the words and works of Jesus, what do skeptics and unbelievers struggle with believing the most in your conversations with others? What did you struggle with before coming to Christ? Was it that uh, some, most people will say, yeah, Jesus was a historical figure, but. So what, what are some of the things that you hear in your conversations with skeptics concerning who Jesus is? Yeah, so he, did, he never rose from the grave. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, history tells us a bit differently. If, if indeed he was dead, we'd find his body. Haven't found it since. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so a good teacher. Um, lived on the earth, said good, good things, but God, that's another story. Yeah, yeah. They denied it then, and they continue to deny it today, certainly. Yeah, yeah, Richard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even as they talk about Jesus throughout the Gospels, uh, uh, they talk to him as if, right, yeah, your mother was a virgin. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else you, you hear in your conversations? 
with skeptics. Yeah, Elena. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the way is exclusive through Christ. Uh, the good news is it's inclusive in the sense that anyone who will enter through Christ uh, can go to heaven. But Jesus is the door, not just a door. Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not just an option. He is the only way to salvation and everlasting life. Yeah. But I mean, you have conversations with folks, and um, as you have those conversations, what a great thing to point them to God's word and remind them, uh, let's not talk about what you think or you feel or what you've been told. Let's have a conversation about uh, God's word and what it has to say about who he is. Uh, there's one thing, I mean, even in the text, if I could uh, mark it to us, is he's mentioning uh, Psalm 82, uh, that he mentions something about Scripture. He says, and the Scripture in verse 35 cannot be broken. What he's saying there is, in Psalm 82, it wasn't a mistake when these appointed judges are referred to as gods. Uh, there is no error in Scripture or God's Word. God's Word is true. God's word is without error in its original manuscripts. As you consider uh, the word of God, we can trust it. And we get to see a, a direct statement to that. Obviously, you go to 2 Timothy 3.16, but here's another example. All scriptures God breathes profitable, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that you and I may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, so we get to see God's word testify of who Jesus is. Uh, I have to go back to this because a lot of folks will sometimes say, I mean, even in Christian circles today, we can detach from the Old Testament. You know, our greatest argument is the resurrection and we can argue from logic. And that may be true. You can argue it from on some level when it comes to logic and say, well, uh, uh, if you want to know whether or not Christ is true, find his body, you know, those kinds of things. But truly, the, the support that we have is Scripture, is God's word that's been declared. And so whenever Christ is, is spoken of and the way that the, the early church, or at least the unbelievers were convinced of the truth was through the Old Testament scriptures. You hear God's word, you hear it declared, and you respond to the declaration of God's word in faith. And so uh, we get to see that about Jesus. We continue as we finish up our text. Uh, we also see that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, who is sent by the Father and does the works of the Father. And lastly, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who continues his ministry outside of Jerusalem. Now, as you read John's gospel, a large part of it occurs during over two years of his ministry. As we're going to continue in the final chapters of John, I mean, this, the, the rest of it just takes place during the final months of his life, and a lot of it just happens during the last week. Because who is Jesus? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and we're going to be talking about how exactly he does that as we allow the text to unfold. But Jesus leaves Jerusalem. It's not yet his time. And we see in verse 40, it says that he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was baptizing at first. And there 
he stayed. And then many came to him and said, John performed no sign, but all the things that John spoke about this man were true, and many believed in him there. How do you know Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? On the basis of his works, consider them. Do his works reflect the work of the Father? Take a look at his words. Do his words reflect the, the word of the Father? Consider what Jesus says and consider whether or not it lines up with the Old Testament scriptures. Before we have these New Testament scriptures, of course, we have the whole counsel of God now. But not only that, consider the witnesses who declared who Jesus was. And on the basis of John the Baptist's witness, it says here, these folks believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, as we've been talking about these I am statements, uh, there are different ways that, that um, uh, John communicates what it means to trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, to come to him, to believe in him, to follow him, to enter through the door by way of him to salvation and to the abundant life in him. But what the invitation is for us as we walk away from this text again is who is Jesus? I don't want you to just answer biblically. I do want you to answer it biblically, of course. I don't want you to just answer um, generally, but I want you to answer this personally for yourself, whether you're a seeker, whether you're a skeptic, or you're part of the flock. You know in your heart that, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again in newness of life and offered you salvation as a free gift and you have received it. You've received the free gift and you are secure forever. You are safe in the, in the hand of Jesus and you are in, safe in the hand of the Father. I want you to ask this question and answer it for yourself today. Who is Jesus? Is he the Christ? Is he the Son of God? Is he the one who's given you everlasting life? Because this is a question that will ultimately determine not just where you spend eternity, but how you spend it. And this is a message not worth keeping to yourself. This is something you don't keep quiet about. This is something you tell your neighbors, your family members, your friends, your coworkers. You get it out there. Jesus is worth following and reading about. And I want you to discover him and the abundant life that I have. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, we thank you, Father, that it's revealed the mystery, that which was previously hidden, but has now been revealed through the scriptures of who Jesus is. Uh, Father, as we dig into a, a text like John again in, in chapter 10 and finish up this chapter, uh, we pray, Lord, that these truths uh, would continue to encourage us. I want to pray, Lord, for anyone here who is a believer and a Christian and is going through a valley. I want to pray for those who are facing a storm, facing difficult circumstances, relationally, financially, Father, spiritually. Maybe they've been dealing with a particular sin in their life and uh, it's just become a bad habit again and again. Maybe someone who may be even questioning their salvation and if they're genuinely saved, Father, I pray that right now we would be reminded of the gospel, the good news of Christ, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And the same way that you have saved us is the same way that you will keep us, that you will sanctify us and one day glorify us. But that means we shouldn't continue in our sin, but we should continue to trust in you. So Father, allow us to be stress-free. Allow us to experience the abundant life. Allow us to find satisfaction and contentment, knowing that you're our shepherd, you're leading us, you're guiding us in and out to pasture, and the abundant life begins now. 
Father, for anyone who's continuing to seek after you and discover who you are, I pray that you would just make it clear who Jesus is. And Father, help us, motivate us to know who we need to share this with, Lord, and how we need to pray for them. Father, we lift up these things to you. Bless us as we head out. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.